You've tuned in to the Message to Kings podcast, where we tell the complete history. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Houston. Episode 19, The Encounter at Mount Sinai. Imagine the throne of the God of the universe coming down from heaven to visit your city or nation. Imagine the sea of glass-like crystal, the lightnings, the thunders, the wheels, the angels, the creatures. A multitude of angels crying out to God. Try to picture it. Then try to smell it. And then top it off, Imagine what you hear, thousands if not millions of voices crying out. There would be such glory, and it would be magnificent. Now imagine your Jewish or Muslim or Christian neighbor. Some people will run to God. Some will cower. Some will run away. Here's the deal with the glory of God. What occurs is magnificent, and the senses and emotions are totally wrecked. Now, all forms of self-control will be gone, but what occurs is what is called the light of Jesus. All secrets of the heart are laid bare. This is what happens when God himself shows up in his fullness. If you are clean and pure and have a relationship with God, what do you do? You walk closer. You advance to God. Now, while some are attracted, others are repelled. If you do not know God or have no desire to know Him in your heart, you are repelled. It's a natural fleshly reaction to run from your problems and hurts. It requires humility to go to God, to go towards God. Here's a problem with an unrepentant heart when God shows up. He or she is immobilized instantly, aware of his worthlessness for God's presence is too much. But when the glory subsides, the acknowledgement of God was only temporary and relief-driven. The memory of the glory fades, never disappears, but fades behind one's own self or flesh. Most biblical accounts of Mount Sinai experience focus on the law and the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's a little too religious for me. If that's what you want to hear, that Moses was just given the Ten Commandments, sorry. We will get there in the next episode. With this podcast episode, I want to focus on the relationship aspect of God encountering His people. It's truly fantastic. I mean, it really is that God would just come down like fire and rest on a mountaintop. Seriously, it's really crazy. Like, the God in the third heaven came down, crashing through every principality, resting on a mountaintop, and inviting a nation to join Him in a radical encounter experience. In this account, I will be pulling from many chapters, Deuteronomy 5, 6, 9, and 10, and Exodus 19, 20, 32 through 34. So everyone knows at Mount Sinai, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, but what we witness is a picture of God's outrageous glory. The Israelites show up at the base of Mount Sinai and establish camp. If you are looking for a geographic location of Mount Sinai, scholars and historians seem to have different opinions. From a mountain at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula or across the water into Saudi Arabia, and even Josephus suggests other locations. 
The Israelites stay for months at Mount Sinai. They arrive at Mount Sinai 47 days after the first Passover, which was the 10th plague in Egypt. After being at Mount Sinai for three days, God will be giving the Ten Commandments. And if you understand the principal feast of Israel, 50 days from Passover marks Pentecost. And when the Ten Commandments are delivered, this is the first recognized Pentecost, which will later be 50 days after Jesus' death, when the tongues of fire overcome the disciples in the upper room, and the church is birthed about 1,500 years later. Another thing about reading this account in the Bible is you have to really read these scriptures again and again because it's easy to picture it one way and then you read it again and it's easy to picture it another way. Here's the problem. You almost have to think differently when you read it. When it says God said something, you don't know what position or form he is speaking from. Is he talking like a still small voice? Which is what happens to Elijah in the same mountain many, many, many centuries later. And at that moment, he probably came like a gentle thought or impression. Or is God talking like face to face, like he does in the tent of meeting? Or is he talking in a gigantic voice from the dark, dense cloud, like he does with the Ten Commandments? So when you're reading the account, you want to picture God speaking, but it's hard to visualize it very well. So context is very important. I'll try to relay the events the best I can to visualize the source of the voice of God. Also, I'll talk about all the mountain climbing Moses did. It's really incredible. Other difficulties are the separation of the story. Inside the middle of the accounts is extremely detailed instructions and laws given to the people, and the account renews itself after the detailed instructions. In addition, Exodus and Deuteronomy repeat themselves but supplement each other in each account. So before I start with the visitation of Father God, let's remember the lessons here. Father God was teaching the Israelites the principles of the father and a family. The father is to instill in his children provision protection, and affirmation or identity. Previously, provision was provided in the form of the manna and protection in the victory with the Amalekites. Finally, at Sinai will be the revelation of, of their identity. They're, they're being affirmed. They're being shown their purpose right here, right now. God will be giving them their purpose and identity, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood on earth. Exodus 19.3 Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The concept of a royal priesthood is very deep. It will not be fully understood until after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. See the parallel with the two Pentecost again? In the New Covenant, when the people filled with the Holy Spirit and given and washed clean by the blood of Jesus can walk in full authority with purpose and authority to change the world. 
This is the first of at least four times Moses climbs the mountain to talk with God and comes down. The account is full of his mediation with God. And it's interesting to think of Moses here, 80 years old, going up and down a mountain. I have to believe it'd be one of those mountains that would take at least two hours to climb, but maybe way more. Uh, but we don't know for sure since there's so many opinions where Mount Sinai is. Regardless, Moses had to be really fit for his age. In fact, Moses lives the longest of all people born after the flood to 120 years. His aging secret was not mountain climbing, but the glory of God, for he will experience the radiance and glory of God at the end of this account. Next, Moses goes up the mountain, and God tells Moses to tell the people the following. He will be coming down in a dense cloud. He told them to prepare for his coming, and on the third day he will be coming down inside of everyone. Then he said to put limits around the mountain to prevent the people from coming up the mountain until a trumpet was sounded. Exodus 19.16 On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Alright, so God descended on the mountain, setting the mountain on fire with billowing smoke. The mountain trembled, and a trumpet blast was getting louder and louder. What appears to be going on here is simply this. Heaven is coming down. Could it be the actual throne of God was coming down to visit man? Some of the passages we'll cover later will mirror the throne of God in heaven with the thundering and trumpets and the sea of glass-like crystal. This is supernatural. I mean, this is really supernatural, and it's crazy and so beyond the natural. In addition, the mountain is shaking and trembling and burning. Moses encountered a bush on fire. Now the entire mountain is ablaze. There is a loud trumpet from heaven which only grows in magnitude stronger and stronger. Next it says, God descends to the top of the mountain, and Moses climbs the mountain again, and God tells him to get Aaron. He goes down to get Aaron at this point. So Father God himself speaks face to face with the people out of the fire on the mountain, not privately to Moses, but in a very, very loud, audible form to all the people, revealing the Ten Commandments, word for word. This is the reaction of the people. Exodus twenty eighteen, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. We have to camp here. God never said they couldn't go up the mountain. He only said they had to wait until the trumpet sounded. Then they could approach. A nation had an open invitation to encounter God himself. Now, don't get me wrong. It must have been overwhelming. God himself in his fullness, possibly with the entire throne of God sitting on a mountaintop. 
who knows, the crazy eyeballed creatures could have been the reason for the thunder and lightning. And there was the sea of glass like crystal we'll get to later, and the booming voice of the Lord God Almighty. So don't get me wrong, I would have been on my face for hours, but what next? Would you want more? Would you seek all you could from the creator of the universe? Or would you say, I've had enough? See you in heaven one day when I can handle it. Or would you go for it? It's this knee-jerk reaction to God's invitation that revealed the heart of the Israelites. This reminds me of an account of Jesus in John twelve twenty-eight. Jesus cried out in Jerusalem and said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and it said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there said it thundered or an angel had spoken. So in this account, Father God spoke, but the people heard two things, an angel or thunder. So in this account, there's three types of people. The relational, which know God by spending time with him, they actually heard Father God's voice. Then there's the spiritual people who don't know God personally, but they acknowledge his spiritual realm. They thought it was an angel. The final group was the liberal group, which found a natural excuse for the voice of God. Look around today. This is way too practical. Could it be the Israelites couldn't even capture God was talking? Could it be that all they actually heard was thunder? Just like the previous verse. We don't know for sure, but we do know they were terrified of the one who wanted to have a relationship with them. Instead of going closer to God, they pushed him away and asked Moses to be their mediator. Imagine if one of your friends or family members told you to no longer speak to them. It is a severance of relationship. They place their fears over their desire to be with God. While they cowered in their own condemnation, Moses advanced to see God. I can see him walking away from the camp towards a total darkness, stopping and looking back, shaking his head, thinking, my people, my people, they don't get it. Two more steps and he was invisible to their sight into the thick darkness. This is God's response, Deuteronomy 5:29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me so I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. From this place and further in, Moses received more laws related to idols and altars, servants and personal injuries, protection of property and social justice, justice and mercy, the Sabbath, the festivals, and he concludes with the future borders of Israel. So what happens next is God calls Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel to come up at least part of the mountain. The group goes up only part of the mountain, or just into the darkness at the foot of the mountain. It's hard to tell for sure how far they go up the mountain, but something happens here. The group is either transported to the throne of God in heaven, because it mirrors Ezekiel 1, and Revelation 4, or the throne of God comes down and was present on the mountain. I kind of favor the throne coming down from heaven. It would explain a theory I'm working on for the Bronze Age Collapse episode. 
uh, but we'll get there later. Here's the account, Exodus 24, 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these elders of Israel. They saw God, they ate, and they drank. It's a statement that they saw God, ate, and drank. That's really spectacular. If you want to chew on something for days, here's a group of questions. What, what did they eat with God? Was this Jesus who was at their table? Also, it says, under God's feet was the description of what is later described as the sea of glass-like crystal, which is at the throne of God. What is even more amazing, how could Aaron and the elders later sin after eating with God himself? This reminds me of one who sat at Jesus' table who would later betray him. His name was Judas Iscariot. From here, Moses advanced further up the mountain to see God with Joshua, who accompanies him part of the way. Here's the account, Exodus 24:15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is where we arrive at the spiritual concept of relationship. This is what God desires most from us. Isn't this what we should value from people? To love them and care for them and to treat them like family? Father God desires sons and daughters. He was calling them. Moses' heart was yearning for more. The Israelites were groaning inside, but not for more. They didn't get it. For simplicity, let's put it in the context of a marriage. If a person is married, his desire is for his spouse. He or she desired to please them to get to know them, to have intimate relationship, verbal, physical, intimately, emotionally. The closer the relationship, the more the heart is shared and understood. God desires this. He wanted to share his secrets with his people. He wanted to let the Israelites know him. He also knew they could only handle the revelation of him that was in proportion to the relationship they had with him. He was inviting them as a nation and people to meet their God face to face, but they were not willing to accept his invitation. Aaron and the elders would go higher, Joshua even higher, but only Moses was allowed to have the greatest revelation of God because of he had the greatest relationship with him. If we believe our salvation is based upon obeying rules, we miss the point. Relationship is the primary point. We will find all through the Bible those who disobey God and break His commands, but those in relationship recover. David is a primary example, an adulterer and murderer. He received one of the greatest promises in the Bible, that a descendant of his will forever reign on the throne of David. Why did he get away with such error? Because of relationship, he knew God and trusted him and worshipped God despite his mistakes. Now here are the Israelites. God is present. He is binding them to come closer to encounter him. They fear him and turn from God and later worship an idol in such a short amount of time. But what is bigger is that what they actually say to Moses. You talk to God lest we die. In this fear, they rejected the voice of the one who created them and desired them. 
In the reverse, Moses climbs higher. Why? Because he desired more and wanted more of God. In fact, he experienced so much of God's glory, he will, his face later will become radiant like Jesus. It states in Deuteronomy, Moses ate no food or water for 40 days when he went up the mountain, which leads me to believe he entered a different dimension of sorts, or the throne of God dwelled among men temporarily, and Moses was outside of human needs where the body was sustained or earthly demands were unimportant. This is where Moses gets the details of the tabernacle, priesthood, and Sabbath. To conclude this meeting, God inscribed on two tablets the Ten Commandments. It actually says that the Ten Commandments were inscribed by God, by the finger of God. Alright, so Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days. The legal code of the nation was not finalized, and the people looked for their direction, not from God, but Moses, and he was gone. And with this abstinence, there is unrest in the camp, and sin. Exodus 32 when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So that all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. How quick they were to run from God after seeing so much. Here they are. This time, with the presence of God resting on the burning mountain, they formalized their heart's desire by fashioning an idol and worshiping it instead of the present God. They, at this moment, rejected God's identity for them. What begins is an orgy of a religious festival in, which infuriates God. Back on the mountain, God tells Moses about the people, and he tells Moses to leave them alone so he may destroy them and make Moses into a great nation. This is where Moses steps up and takes note of the lessons from Abraham and his intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses pleads with God, and he relents for a while. When Moses arrives in the camp, his anger burns. Remember, Moses' anger problem, it comes back. He throws down the tablets breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. I kind of imagine the tablets being thrown down in a Hollywood-style slow-motion effect, which creates some outrageous sonic boom, which rocks the people at their demonic frenzy. But that's my imagination. Next, next is crazy. Moses burns the golden calf in fire, grounds it to powder, which would have taken outrageous force, and he scatters it on the water and forces them all to drink it. Aaron makes an excuse and says the calf just came out of the fire when they melted the gold. I can only imagine what Moses did to him, which is not written. The wild orgy was actually continuing, so Moses shouted, Who is with me? And all of his tribe, the Levites, come to his side. Exodus thirty-two twenty-seven. Then he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp, from each 
one into the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did so as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. And then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. 3,000 people were killed in this action. I kind of think the Levites killed anyone who remained in a zombie-like state of demonic worship. 3,000 of the most deceived and demonized were taken from Israel that day. To give a timeline context, we are 40 days past the first Pentecost. But if you like parallels, here's one. We're off by 40 days, but the numbers are exact. 3,000 demonized Israelites were killed on this day at Mount Sinai. But the actual Pentecost was after the ascension of Jesus. Peter led a sermon and 3,000 were saved. 3,000 lost. Almost 1,500 years later, 3,000 were gained. The next day, Moses went up to God to ask for forgiveness of sin. God doesn't show much mercy. Moses' actions were not enough to justify God's wrath. God's punishment was to send a plague to attack the Israelites. God promised to not allow plagues to torment the Israelites in the last episode, but the promise was conditional upon faithfulness. The Israelites were very unfaithful. God is pretty angry with the Israelites still. Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. You could spend some time here on the ornaments, which are mentioned over and over. But it's the word stiff-necked people that's really nasty. This is the exact phrase that Stephen used in referring to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and teachers of the law after the ascension of Christ. It was Jesus who said, My burden is easy, my yoke is light. But instead the people are being prideful, stubborn, and stupid. Whenever you hear the phrase stiff-necked, things have almost completely deteriorated between God and his people. This is where Moses steps up again in intercession. Moses has really come a long way from the burning bush experience where he was consumed by fear. He is determined to prevent further harm upon his people and renew their covenant. At this point, there is such a select few that are following God. Here's the account of Moses' desire for God. He is, drawing, he is still drawing closer and closer. Exodus thirty-three twelve. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from any of the other nations on the face of the earth? 
And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked me because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Seriously, it's like Moses couldn't get enough of God. He wanted more and more of God. God, show us your glory. Next, Moses went up the mountain for another 40 days. Now, it's not totally clear where this show us your glory was within the 40 days or separate. Uh, But he was up there for 40 days and nights again, this time fasting again water and food. He chiseled out two stones for God to write upon and to create the Ten Commandments again. It says he laid prostate for nearly the entire time praying for his nation. God relented because no further plague set the people at Mount Sinai. God gives him further instructions and he inscribes the Ten Commandments on the stones again. Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. After all the Israelites came near him, he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him at Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I'd like to ask you a few questions. First, what's in you? What would you do? Would you advance or withdraw if God showed up in all of his glory? Would you respond like so many of the Israelites? Or would you advance or would you pursue the great reward? We know from this episode, Moses gained the greatest revelation of God because of his relationship with God. It's quite simple to begin a relationship with God. Talk to him. You honestly don't have to say the perfect prayer. We we made some friends recently and they asked us a question. How do you teach your children to pray? And we teach them to talk to God, just like they talk to us was our answer. Don't be religious. Be relational. God desires our heart over everything else. God desires relationship with you. Talk to him today so that you can get used to that still, small voice so that you can understand a miracle, so that you can understand that the signs all point to Him, so that when it comes to wonder, you don't hear thunder or an angel, but the voice of your Father.
Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message of Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the Ten Commandments and the many secrets and promises locked away in the law. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat or talk, please email me at messageofkings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.